0: 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We've seen that this church at Corinth is an unhealthy church. And yet Paul knows that they can move back into a place of, of health and growth and um, spiritual maturity. If he thought they were a lost cause, he wouldn't have written... So much material to them in two books, and wouldn't have written so much so many times to them, uh, we know of uh, the churches in um, that Paul started Corinth uh, seemed to be one of those churches he wrote the most to and uh, several occasions, and addressed in this church and interesting that it is not included in the seven churches of revelation and th- what does what does that tell us at the end of the first century, in about 90 AD, that of the churches that are prominent and that have some issues, all right, that, are, that are needing to work on, that Jesus addresses those seven churches? Corinth is not on that list. Why? Could it be that um, they've already snuffed their light out and their witness? And um, that by the you know many several decades after second Corinthians is written, that the church at Corinth just fizzled out and died by by that time, or I think the second option is more, or did they heed to Paul's instruction? Did they straighten up? Did they? Um, did they hear the instruction here of how they were headed in a wrong direction and the signs of being sick? And Paul's instruction straightened them up and they became a bulwark for the next 50 years in the first century. It seems like Corinth obviously took some persecution, but I think because of the leadership of this church, it would continue to flourish on past the first and into the second century. Not to say it didn't have its problems. Not to say some of these issues crept back up again. But maybe these two letters inspired by Paul were kept close in this church library and they every once in a while pulled it out. Imagine what it would have been like to be in that congregation where the original inspired uh, text from Paul could be brought out into the church and laid out and read. And uh, not a copy, but actually Paul's... Signature on that. I think that that uh, was a sober reminder to this church at Corinth as it continued to minister in um, as one of those first churches. But when we come to First Corinthians chapter five, remember that Paul has heard a report that has come commonly; it's public, and it's come all the way from uh, you know from from where uh, Chloe's house was to brought this word to the Apostle Paul. And uh, this was a negative, that there is fornication among you. There's sexual sin that is going on in your church, such of the type that is not even named among the Gentiles. So even the unsaved community out in the streets would see this type of sin as, as, as wrong and abhorrent that one should have his mother's wife, or his father's wife. Um, Get that right. That could happen today, too, for sure, probably. And so, that he should have his father's wife. Um, And so, we talked about that a little bit last week, and how this sin was was in the church, and how dangerous sexual sin is, and that uh, marriage is seen as a sacred, uh, a sacred Vow, a commitment, the first institution that God had established. And the Apostle Paul addresses this issue because he knows it is serious. It will destroy the families. The church is made up of families. And if they don't see the sacredness of marriage and the relationship between a man and a woman and in the right place, in the, in, in the right bounds of that covenant... And then all morality would be thrown away. And so he addresses this in this chapter and spends the whole chapter talking about it. And in fact, it goes even into chapter 6 and then into chapter 7 when he will begin to deal to some extent again in chapter 7 and verse 2 to avoid fornication, but let every man have his own wife. And every woman have her own husband. So he will, he will run on. This is an important. But as he's dealing with this uh, sin in chapter 5, look in verse 2. and He says, And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away or put out from among you. For I verily... As absent in body but present in spirit, have judged already. I've made a discernment already, as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. So, as we look at verse 2, I want you to notice the sin of pride that has crept into this church and that is addressed here. Pride is a problem in this church. On all the way back to chapter 1, in, in the struggle of disunity that was going on in the church, the different fractions, uh, the different uh, uh, divisive groups that, were, that had their own leaders and had their own cliches and had their own cliques, there was already uh, a prideful spirit. But this prideful spirit continues several chapters later into the sin of fornication with a member in the church. This is an issue of pride. It could be of self-righteousness. I'm better than you. That was what was going on in chapter 1. These groups felt that they were better than another group. Or it could be a sin of pride of self-centeredness. I don't need you to judge me. I can do what I want to do. Um, just constantly thinking, I, I am my own leader. Who, sh- who who else in this church should be a judge over me? Judge not. You hear the word verse taken out of context. Lest ye be judged. This self-centered... Um, uh, prospect or portion. The Proverbs tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We talked in Sunday school a few weeks ago about these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination. And the very first one is a proud look. Someone who walks in the room with their nose stuck up in the air looking down at everyone else. Pride can destroy a church in a person's life. How can pride destroy a church? Well, ask Peter when he dealt with the situation with Ananias and Sapphira. You remember that story in the book of Acts? Ananias and Sapphira were filled with pride. And they scorned the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit pointed them out with the pride. They wanted the glory from everybody else telling them what a good job they did because they gave so much money to the church when in fact they were holding back. They were lying. And this heart that was filled with pride and God dealt with that, this first sin within the church of stealing from God and a proud spirit on top of that. Pride can, can destroy a church. And in that proud spirit um, and pride comes in it causes you to ignore your sin. Because a person who is proud says, I don't have a problem. They're the problem. Or you're the problem. And they're looking at everybody else instead of taking a good glimpse of what is happening on the inside. You see, what happened is that when this person in the church fell into sin, took his father's wife, and started to openly live in that type of lifestyle while remaining a member of this church. There were people in the church who, thinking that, um, that, that, that they were um, in the spirit of self-righteousness. You could go two ways. You could, you could have someone who, who is uh, self-righteous like a Pharisee that judges someone else harshly and self-righteously, thinking that, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. And that proud spirit can creep up into the heart of believers who think that, well, at least I'm not doing that. And yet at the same time, they've got this spirit of, of, uh, of pride or other sin that they're not willing to deal with. Or, number two, um, this proud spirit could come in a form of ignoring. This is none of my business. I'm not going to deal with this. I'm just going to look the other way and ignore it. You see, what happens is pride causes you to be blind to your own part. In verse 2, as you saw this, he says, And you are puffed up. This word is the word arrogant. It, it is to cause something to expand. It's like blowing a balloon. Up and he says, You are being puffed up, you're being arrogant, you're causing something to be inflated. Well, what is being inflated? Um, their condition. You see, they were thinking that they were spiritual and they had it all together. Paul had dealt with this in several chapters before, in chapter 2, in verse 13, he talked about man's wisdom after the world, and uh, spiritual things that are after Christ. In verse uh, chapter 2 and verse 14. Turn over there just a couple chapters before just so you can see it yourself. Verse 14 of chapter 2. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can you know because they are or neither can he know because they are spiritually discerned all right there's a there's a problem but he that is spiritual discerns or judges all things yet he himself is judged of no man talking about discernment here this is this is the man who who makes the right choices because he makes his decisions based on the truth of God's Word. He is spiritually discerning. He's going to grow. It's the other person that thinks he has it all together. And he doesn't need any help, thinks he's mature, thinks he's spiritual, but when in fact, he's carnal. Turn to look at um, chapter 3, in verse 1. And I, brethren, would not speak unto you as spiritual... But I have to speak unto you as what? Carnal. Even as unto babes in Christ. Verse 3, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? Walk as unbelievers? So Paul is getting to the point. At this point is chapter 2 and chapter 3. He's going to get to chapter 5. By the time he gets to chapter 5, here he's going to address the problem. Everybody else is thinking, the problem is that man over there who's sleeping with his father's wife. The Apostle Paul in verse 2 says, you're the problem. Well, I'm the problem? Why? Because you're puffed up and you're arrogant. So, oh, what, what, what's going on here, Paul? He's, he's showing, he's pointing out their lack of spiritual discernment. Um, turn over to chapter 14 towards the end of the book. And look at a comment that he makes in chapter 14 and verse 37. If any man, this is in in talking about the spiritual gifts in the order of the church. And there was a lot of abuse that was going on because some people thought because they had the speaking in tongues and they had the prophecy that they were, quote, more spiritual than someone else. And the Paul addresses this in verse 37 of chapter 14. If any man thinks himself to be a prophet or thinks himself to be spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So obviously there were some people within this church who thought they were spiritual when in fact Paul was saying, you're carnal because there's pride in in the way. The word spiritual that is used throughout this scripture that I've I've mentioned to you here is is the word that comes from the Greek word wind, pneuma. Um, It is where we get our, our word pneumonia from. It means wind or breath, as the wind would pass through the body. But what Paul says here is that instead of the Holy Spirit passing through the body of these believers and causing them to grow and discern, no right and wrong, instead, what is blowing through their body is self-righteous arrogance and pride. And that's why Paul uses the word puffed up. <sighs> like you're blowing up a balloon. That you're just getting... You you are you ever heard of someone who thinks highly of himself? He toots his own horn. Okay, no, um, no, no bash to the horns over here that did a good job this morning the trumpets. All right, but someone who blows their own air, puffs themselves up. Here's what Paul is addressing: their pride that was going on in the church has caused them. To ignore the sin that was among them. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging them to look within. Be proper when you look within to make a good discernment of your own heart. And see where those prides and divisiveness and divisions are creeping in. And then get a good eye, once you get a good eye on yourself and on the truth of God's word, then you'll have a good eye when you look around and you see someone else. I think Jesus would say something very similar about the fact that we would need to be careful with the beam that is in our eye before we start looking at the speck in someone else's eye. And what was happening in this church was that these people were sinning by ignoring what was going on instead of dealing with it and confronting it in the right way and making the right choices. You see, they were not involved in in doing this and encouraging, and and yet they were allowing the sin to continue over and over and over again because they felt like they were unaffected by it. That's what he's doing. That's his thing. As long as I'm not doing that, I'm better than he is. We're okay. And Paul is saying... No. This is the idea that a member can act any way he wants and the church will do nothing about it. Now, in the context of church discipline, which Paul is talking about in this, I have um, had the sad privilege of having to deal with church discipline before in my ministry. Often in church discipline issues, there there are several outcomes. Or ways to deal with it. Either a church will choose not to discipline at all. Just ignore it and let it go on. Or they will over-discipline and do it the wrong way. I've seen that happen before. Or, a third scenario, they will only discipline if it's someone... Uh, only discipline if it's not someone they love or they care about, right? A fringe member. In other words, showing favors. In other words, we'll discipline her and her, but we're not going to deal with this person because this person happens to be my so-and-so or a prominent person in the church or a good giver. Most disciplined situations in the church that people get mad about is the one in which it affects them the most. This is where emotions get the best of things and spiritual turns to carnal and spirit-filled lives turn to puffed-up lives. When there is a conscientious ignorance, ignoring of sin, because the pride that can puff up, Let me mention a second thing here and then we'll close here tonight in this verse that Paul is is, um, addressing. In verse 2, and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned. Have not mourned. In other words, there was a lack of sorrow in this church. The emphasis of the word ye or you in verse 2 is indicating the whole group. This is not one person, but the whole. Garland states this in his commentary on this passage. Paul seems more vexed with the congregation than he actually does with the culprit. The man is committing an odious sin, he goes on to say but they have permitted the person guilty of such sin to continue as a member in good standing without taking any disciplinary action. The unstated premise is that the community is therefore responsible for the moral behavior of their members. And the entire community is implicated in that sin. When sinful excesses go unchecked, the church then is exposed God's vengeance. The word mourned here implies sorrow like the one of someone who has died. It's a mourning, a confession of sins as if it was their own. Where they are fully aware of, of that consequences and the judgment of God that could come down because of that. When was the last time Our congregation or a group within the congregation gathered together in earnest prayer and sorrow over an individual because of the blindness of sin. It it is a healthy thing for a church to get together and mourn over sin. Paul is saying the absence of weeping over sin within the body is an unhealthy thing. So that would mean a healthy thing would be to see when the congregation together instead of just saying, well, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you need to come forward, you need to come forward, you need to get this right. No, you come together and you mourn over the sin of of loved ones and church members and strive to see God and plead and intercede and to pray that God would hear. And... In other words, the members of this church were not just unaffected by the sin, ignoring and looking the other way, but they were completely unconcerned about it too. It didn't bother them one bit that they had someone within their congregation who was living in open, blatant sin. It didn't bother them. And because of that, this church was suffering and merited a strong, one of the strongest rebukes of an apostle in the New Testament, probably outside of the Church of Revelation, or Churches of Revelation, would be, that would come right here. A complete lack of concern, and mourning, and sorrow over sin. So young people, when there's another young person in the youth group, who decides to do what's wrong and is open and blatant about their sin, when was the last time the youth group got together and prayed for that individual and wept and prayed that they would, they would make a right decision and come back to the Lord? Uh, family members, we do this for our children and our grandchildren and our hearts ache when they walk away from the Lord or uh, choose to live in open sin. And um, we choose not to do anything about it, we gotta be real careful. There is a responsibility. However, I just want you to understand as Paul lays this out, he's not saying that we go out and, and we're everybody else's police officer. And then we go around and we pick out the, the specs in everyone else's eye. He's actually saying, it's not like we go out looking for problems in people's lives and we, and we got to... However, there is an accountability within the church. And uh, pride and arrogance can creep up into our life and that arrogance and pride can cause us to have bad responses. One of either ignoring it or over um, self-righteously uh, bringing uh, a, a wrong judgment down that is not sensitive and in the right fashion. So, as we see this, we also see the the importance of the accountability in this verse. That he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. There's an accountability here. The accountability in the group shows that they all look out for one another. And when one goes uh, a wrong direction, those who are discerners, those who, who know that they are they need the help and the, the, the repentance and the forgiveness of God will come along that weaker brethren and encourage them and confront them. Most often, as I wrote here, most often disciplined situations could be avoided if only there was a good accountability among the members. How, how many people have gotten into sin so far... So far down the road of sin, if if just a, a loved one or another church member would have come along and said, "You need to be careful. I notice you're not doing real well. You're starting to miss a little bit. I notice you're discouraged about this situation and that accountability." And listen, that goes both ways. So if you think you can handle your situation and you'll be okay, be careful. As 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 God would tell. Uh, Cain, sin lies at the door. Take heed lest you fall. you need that accountability, being open and honest so it protects you from being vulnerable to um, the attacks of the devil. Father, I pray as we close tonight, uh, Lord, would we have a healthy morning, a healthy sorrow of sin that that we would pray and plead with one another? To follow the Lord and grow. And not in a judgmental, um, in a self-righteous judgmental spirit going around picking out specks or maybe even beams in other people's eyes without first internally examining our heart, making sure that we are in the right place in the spirit and attitude. And as Galatians 6 tells us that in the spirit of meekness, uh, those who are spiritual... Um, those who are who are who know they 're vulnerable and with the right attitude and spirit could confront and just give a a word of warning and and um and love and care and encouragement and admonition to do what 's right Lord, I pray that there would not be pride that would set in to to our church and any any um, groups or our, our members and when it is would Would they be sensitive enough to pop their own bubble before you do it? Or someone else has to come along to do it? and To deal with that in in their own heart. And Lord, I wonder if this church was not fighting amongst themselves with who was from whose group. And if, if they weren't doing that, would they have noticed that this man was walking down a path that was dangerous and someone would have come alongside and encouraged him and And said something to him and confronted him before it got too late. Um, There is an accountability that we have for one another. Thank you for that accountability that we all need. And uh, bless us tonight. I think the missions conference that is is next week. And the preparation that goes on for that. Uh, Lord, would you give us a good meeting. A good group of meetings. And uh, bring safety to the missionaries. Would it be a great opportunity for us to honor many of these who serve so faithfully around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, Lord, if you would give us wisdom about partnering with any of these that maybe we need to in the days ahead, thank you for those who give faithfully to missions. We look forward to the the conference. Give us wisdom and um, uh, spirit-filledness as we work with one another through a busy week in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.